If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Luke chapter 12. I have enjoyed studying Luke chapter 12. That's probably a given, but I have found it to be incredibly engaging content. It is exceptionally instructive. In fact, anytime we get to listen to Jesus teach on particular subjects, in my estimation, it heightens our pressure to really understand it and to delve in. Jesus is talking in the verses that we're going to study this morning, and it is concerning a topic that I think is underserved within the church, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. If I were to ask you how many of you are ready for Jesus to return, I think all of our hands would go up and it would be in the tenor of, I'm done with this. I'm tired of this place, I'm tired of what's happening, I'm tired of how I feel, I'm ready for all of this to be over. Mentally, we would say that. I wonder, however, spiritually speaking, if we're actually ready for that. And that's what our study will cover this morning. Now, I know when you see me in a setting like this, you think perhaps that I am an exceptional athlete. How many of you, was that your first thought? That guy's an incredible athlete. Mike Getch, thank you. I have one friend in the room. I was never fast, ever. That would mean that I'm still not fast, When I was a kid, however, I would get new shoes, and when I'd get my new shoes, I would, of course, have to show my mom and anyone who would stand by how fast I was in my new shoes and how sharply I could cut in them. But I can remember, even though I wasn't fast, having those races as a kid, and I remember the rush of adrenaline, the sense of nervousness that comes when you get to the starting line and you hear those words, ready, set, go. And that tension that rushes in, ready, on your mark. All the way back in the 1800s, they were using that to arrive at the place that we have marked as the starting line. Get into your starting blocks. Get set. Whenever we say that a runner is getting set, their muscles tension. They press their track shoes down into the starting blocks. They tense their whole body. They key in intently, waiting for the word go or the sound of the gun. In effect, that's what this passage of Scripture communicates. There is an expectation that we will sense a rush of urgency. There's an expectation that we will experience good tension. Tension that will bring about productive activity. In effect, Jesus here addressing all the runners at once is saying, on your mark, Get set, and what we're waiting on is the word go. The key verse in this passage that we're going to study this morning, I believe, is in verse 40, where we read, Be ye therefore ready. Also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. One wrote, and I believe it, this is the Bible's most astonishing image on Christ's second coming. Because Jesus himself is telling us the truth. 
This should be at the forefront of our thinking every day of our existence. Jesus is coming again. One author said, ever since the first days of the Christian church, evangelicals have been looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So they may have disagreed as to its timing, to the events on the eschatological calendar. They may have differed on many things. However, all are agreed that the final solution to the problems of this world is in the hands of the King of Kings who will someday make the kingdoms of this world His very own, starting over. All of us grasp the answer to all that ails is Jesus Christ returning again. We don't talk about it enough. We don't meditate on it enough. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. Christ's return is mentioned 318 times in those chapters. Statistically speaking, that's one out of every 25 verses mentioning the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself often spoke of his return as he will do this morning. In Mark chapter 8, as Jesus hands out the mandate to daily take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him, he follows up that by saying this in Mark 8, 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Jesus says in that verse, I'm coming again with the holy angels as has been preached. Later on in the Olivet Discourse, Mark 13, Jesus says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven can't miss what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse. I will come and gather from the uttermost part of all the earth unto the uttermost part of heaven all of the believers in the upper room on the day before Jesus Christ was crucified. He quells the concern of his disciples by saying this to them in John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Make no mistake about it, all through the New Testament we are exhorted, we are encouraged, we are pressured to consider that Jesus Christ is coming again. It's not crazy ideology, it's not out there thinking theologically speaking, it is the truth that Jesus Christ himself has communicated all throughout Luke 12. In this setting, in this mob of people with the Pharisees in earshot, Jesus has been forcibly addressing the focus of our lives. He has been telling us there is more than this. There's more than what you see. There's more than what you are experiencing. There is more to this life than what you have. And it's no different this morning. He's going to specifically address the fact that he's coming back. I think the entire impetus of this is wrapped up in that simple childlike phrase and understanding. On your marks, get set, and this is what Jesus says we should do. On your marks, get set, wait, 
and watch. That's what Jesus says. Note with me in Luke 12, verse 35. Of course, these verses will be here on the screen so you can know this is God's Word. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. That when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. In verse 35, Jesus tells us to be like men and women that are waiting for their master. In verse 37, he says specifically, blessed are those servants who are watching. Wait and watch. On your marks, get set, feel the rush of tension, wait and watch. Now let me set your expectations. Luke, in this context, is not busying himself about prophetic calendars. He's not going to give us a lot of end times or eschatological details. Rather, the press of this passage is how we should live our lives in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. And Jesus uses specific and vivid imagery for the listeners. He uses wedding imagery. Jewish weddings would have been held at night. And the bridegroom's servants would have been waiting for their master to come home with his bride. And the new husband certainly would not have been waiting or wanted to be kept waiting when he returned with his bride. So Jesus, using wedding language, is raising a little bit of the pressure. And he is saying, here is how you should live in light of the fact that I am coming again. Live with urgency. And then he says this, gird your loins. Is there any more Bible phrase in all the Bible than gird your loins? Say, Pastor, I am a little uncomfortable with loin talk in church. This is a Baptist church. I assure you, all of our loins are girded. (laughs) Gird your loins. That's what Jesus says. Now remember, he's standing in this massive crowd of people. A few disciples. He's already referenced them as his little flock are listening in. And his mandate to them is just like somebody waiting for the bridegroom, be urgently waiting for my return. And while you wait, gird your loins. In effect, be ready to go to work with your robes tucked under your girdle so they're ready to move. Not only have we touched on loins, now we've brought girdles into it. In this ancient setting, they would have worn robes that would have made it cumbersome to move. So they would take the back of the bottom of their robe, they'd pull it up, and they would tuck it down into their belt, effectively making a pair of shorts so that they could move about more freely. We might say something like this in our day, roll up your sleeves. You say, so just start with roll up your sleeves. You've put gird your loins on the screen. It's because Jesus said, gird your loins. I'm saying, roll up your sleeves. It's the same idea. Be ready to work. Remain in your work clothes. 
That's what Jesus is saying. How do we know he's communicating? Keep your work clothes on even when you make it home at night because the next thing he says is keep your lights burning. When he says keep your lights burning, he's communicating darkness has come. Night has already fallen. It's time to light the lamp. As one author said, Jesus makes it clear there are certain circumstances where you don't put on your pajamas, instead you put your belt on and you keep your lamps lit. Again, what we would say is roll up your sleeves and keep the porch light on. This is not a day, this is not a moment to let our urgency ebb and to take our work clothes off and put our pajamas on. Keep your work clothes on and your sleeves rolled up. Keep the porch light on and be on the lookout. He says, watch. Blessed are those that are watching. Be alert. Be ready. Don't be caught by surprise. If we do it, we will be blessed. That's what verse 37 says. When you see the word blessed in the New Testament, equate that with happiness. When you read the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the persecuted. In each of those blessings, it's a counterintuitive way to happiness. With each of those is attached a blessing. There's a reward that's attached. And here there is a reward as well. Blessed are they that will be watching when the master arrives back on scene. And the nature of the reward here in Luke 12 is stunning because Jesus tells us that the master will do something that really no master would have done in these days. Those servants who are found waiting for the master will be blessed by the master serving them. He says the master will gird himself and he will serve them. That's stunning. My understanding of that figure of speech is literal that the master will serve his servants. That's amazing. That's incredible. Wait and watch. It doesn't mean you go out and sit in a field somewhere and stare at the sky, but rather gird your loins, roll up your sleeves, keep the porch light on, be on the lookout every waking moment, sense the tension, feel the urgency, sense the rush coming on you. It will be rewarded. It is an avenue toward true happiness. Jesus goes on in verse 38 and he says this. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, that's find them waiting, blessed are those servants. No matter what hour of the day that he returns, blessed are the ones that are still in their work clothes with the light on, alert and waiting for his return. What if it's at two in the morning? What if it's at four in the morning? Blessed are those that he finds in this state, verse 39. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Now, this is incredibly vivid and it's lost on us. Jesus in this setting is boldly and courageously communicating truth. He is using wedding imagery, and if you can imagine in your mind's eye, people in this crowd slowly nodding as he brings in the wedding imagery. Okay, I understand what you're talking about. 
And now Jesus heightens it yet again because he says to the crowd, if you were at home and you're the good man of the house and you were aware that a criminal was coming, a thief was coming, and he was going to break through. And remember, their walls were clay and stone. They would have dug through the walls to enter the house to steal the goods, much like they lowered the paralytic through the ceiling tiles that they peeled away to put him in front of Jesus. He says, if you knew that a thief was coming to break through your walls and to steal all your stuff, you would be alert This is language all throughout that is meant to heighten our senses. What Jesus is communicating here is simply this. Don't be caught unaware. Watch. He can come at any time. The point is the return of Jesus Christ will be unexpected. It is a fact. It comes like a thief in the night. The world will not be prepared for it. Major news networks will not be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Governments, world governments will not be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. False religions are not prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, most of the church is not prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ, but the faithful will be ready, whether it's in the second watch or the third watch. They will always and ever be alert. Robert Murray McShane, old preacher, sometimes asked people, do you believe that Jesus is coming today? If they answered no, he would say, then you better be ready, for he is coming at an hour when no one thinks he's coming. When no one thinks it's going to happen. You say, Pastor, you do understand that this is live streamed and you're running the radical edge talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes. It's a proclamation of the truth of Scripture. We don't have liberty to mess with it. We simply say it as it is. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, For yourselves, now he's writing this to believers, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief, not you, Not you who believe in Jesus. It shouldn't surprise you. Peter used similar language, 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It's going to happen. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.3. Now, when you get to the book of Revelation and you hear this stuff, there's a bit of a somber tone to it. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Later in Revelation 16.15, he says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This is vivid imagery. This is all stuff we understand. 
Don't be caught in the middle of the night under the covers deep asleep, roused and having to make a break for it. Stay in your work clothes with your sleeves rolled up. Keep the porch light on. Stay alert and watching, whether it's the third, the second, or the first watch. Always be on red alert. He makes it clear. It is going to be like a thief in the night. All throughout Scripture, we hear that language. What is it that strikes the difference between a welcome Lord returning and a dreaded thief arriving? I think clearly the gospel is where the answer is. The best way that we can be watchful is to grasp the fact that all are sinners and all have come short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, no not one. That Jesus Christ is returning. That this earth as we see it will be burnt with fervent heat. That there is a literal hell and there is a literal heaven. And the only way to welcome Him as Lord when He returns is to know that you have settled and paid the debt of your sins by resting in the finished work and shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is salvation in none other. But the second layer is clear. Not you, brethren. It might catch them unawares. To them, it might be like a thief in the night. But it shouldn't be that way with you. You should not be caught sleeping. You should be waiting and watching. And in verse 41, Peter does us all a favor. Peter expresses confusion. Like anybody who has ever sat through a class before, Peter has a question. Now what this indicates is it helps us with our mind's eye set the scene just a little bit. Remember, Jesus is standing in a crowd of people so thick they're trampling on each other. He's just exited the house. The Pharisees are there. The scribes are there. In the midst of this massive crowd is a little flock of believers. And what verse 41 tells us is that Peter was very near Jesus. He has a question for Jesus. Now, I think Peter had a protective spirit towards Jesus. I think in this setting, Peter would fight if it was necessitated. We see him do it in the Garden of Gethsemane when they come to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out his sword and whacks off Malchus's ear. Peter is somewhat protective of Jesus. And in verse 41, in this massive scene that we have before us, we can kind of see Peter near Jesus. As Jesus is proclaiming, Peter asks this in verse 41. Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? Now in verse 32, Jesus referenced his little flock. Peter simply asks, okay, I hear you, but I need some clarity. Is this message for us, the little flock of believers, or is this message for everybody that is here? Jesus will now respond to Peter's question, publicly by sharing a parable. And in his parable, he's going to talk about two different kinds of stewards. In a very real sense, the answer to Peter's question is, this is for everybody. Look at verse 42. Now in response to Peter's question, the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give from their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. 
Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him. And at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit such things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they shall ask the more. Now, if you're anything like me, and we're a lot like Peter, Peter's probably going, uh, that is not what I asked. That does not really clear things up for me. What I asked is that for us, or for everybody. Jesus has in this parable communicated, Peter, this is for everybody. And it's an amazing story that unfolds. You say, now Jesus answered the question, but he talked about stewards who are feeding other stewards, and he talked about somebody getting cut and sunder, and some were beaten with a lot of stripes, and some were beaten with few stripes. Uh, I'm really confused. What Jesus is telling us is of utmost importance for us to understand. The encouragement has already been communicated. Roll your sleeves up. Don't take your work clothes off and put on your pajamas. Keep the porch light on and be looking out the window. I could come at any moment. At any moment, I could arrive on the scene. First, second, or third watch. I'm telling you, blessed is the servant who's alertly looking when I arrive on the scene. Peter, is this for us, Jesus, or for everybody? Peter, it's for everybody. And let me tell you a story about some stewards to make it clear how much press this truth actually has attached to it. He talks about a faithful and a wise steward. Now, a steward was somebody who cared for the household wares of the owner. Fulfilled the responsibilities in this story, it is clear the owner has gone away on business and will be returning, and the expectation is that not only will the house be kept in good order, but that the business will have progressed. Stewards, he says there is this faithful steward who's here doing his job. I don't know if you noticed what he was commended was commended for simply doing what he was assigned to do. He gave them their portion in due season. In essence, this steward made sure the household staff was fed on time. Jesus is saying, I'm not saying you're in charge of the whole house. I'm not saying the whole thing rests on you, but You need to be busy doing the thing that you've been assigned. You need to be busy doing the responsibility that you have been gifted to do. That's the expectation. You must grasp that everything you have belongs to me. I'm coming back with the expectation that you will have fulfilled your responsibility. The question resonates. What kind of steward are you? My house, God's house. My money, God's money. My life belongs to Him. The faithful and the wise will be rewarded. He is contrasted against an unfaithful and unwise steward. The root 
of the action of the unfaithful and unwise steward is that he looks and imagines that his master has delayed his coming. I guess he's not coming back. I guess now I'm the one that's in charge. I guess all of these things are now my things and I'm going to behave like they belong to me. And so he becomes abusive. He beats the men servant. He beats the maidens. He takes the food which should have been distributed to everybody, the service, and he begins to ingest and imbibe. In effect, it's all they eat, drink, and be merry. It's all rooted in the thought that my master is never coming back. And Jesus says to the one who is fulfilling his responsibility and on the lookout for my return, when I return, he will be happy and he will be rewarded. To the one who assumes that I'm never coming back again, whenever I show up on the scene, whatever moment that is, it is going to be a surprise for him like a thief in the night and he will be cut in sunder. I think in this context specifically, that's figurative language. We don't see him cut into little pieces, but his portion will be with the unbelievers. That can be a little bit tricky. Let me help you understand. Jesus is not saying because of this unfaithful and unwise steward's actions, he has lost his salvation and is going to be cast with the unbelievers, but rather Jesus is saying his actions of faithlessness and his unwise, selfish behavior communicates that he did not have salvation. He was not a believer to begin with. His portion is with the unbelievers, making it clear the distinction between those who see him as welcome Lord and those who see him as dreaded thief are the saved and the unsaved yet the mandate comes through for every one of us that are believers wait and watch with your sleeves rolled up and the porch light on and alertness keep in mind that Judas is listening along with the other disciples Keep in mind, this is not some preacher's warning. These are the words of Jesus Christ. It's His warning. That's why it was universal. It was for the Pharisees that were standing at His back, who literally had beaten and maimed and persecuted the prophets of God. It was for the lost individual at the back of the mob, the nameless individual somewhere out there in this story with his sandals and his robe on and something else to do. Jesus was proclaiming to him, don't be caught unaware by my return. Believe in me and you will receive the kingdom of God. It's true. It's genuine. It's not crazy. It's fact. Jesus is coming again. Wait and watch. Jesus is coming again. Be faithful and wise. And you don't have to do it all. You have to do what he's given you to do. You have to be responsible for how he has gifted you. The Apostle Paul near the end of his life said, I have finished my race. I've run my, the course that was set before me. What he's saying there is, look, I ran the race that I was supposed to run. I don't have to run your race. 
You don't have to run my race. We don't all have to do the same thing and meet the same bar. All we're responsible for is what's been set before us. You have different background than I have, and we've got different experience and different skill sets and different giftings, spiritually speaking. I can't do for you, and you can't do for me, but I better be busy doing what God has given me to do. Why? Because he's coming again. I'm a steward of everything that he has given me. So what should I do? What I should do is simply this. I should stay ready. The Bible's clear. Someday Jesus will return. The message from this text is incredibly urgent, yet very simple. That day is going to be a day of great grief, or that is going to be a day of incredible joy, and it will all depend on whether you're prepared and waiting, or whether you're unprepared and caught by surprise. Are you waiting and watching? I don't know what that means. Do I just look at the sky? Do I go sit in my car? Do I build a cabin in the woods and go hide out? What do we do? Do we accumulate grains in the basement? Why grains? I don't know. Canned goods. Store up water. Do we just go sit somewhere and wait for Jesus to return? No, we've got work to do. We've got to take the gospel to the whole world. That's why he says, don't go put your pajamas on, keep your sleeves rolled up, stay in your work clothes. But Jesus, the night is already fallen. Then leave the lamps burning. Keep the lights on. Stay after it. Look out the window. Wait for my arrival. Wait for me to come on scene. But I'm tired. It's the second watch. Now it's the third watch. Stay alert. At any moment, I could come, and I don't want you to be caught unawares. We're stewards of everything God has given us. Roll up your sleeves, turn the lights on, get ready to work. It's an incredible responsibility. Would you please, just for a moment, bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.